I'm Colin. And I'm Megan. And this is Pet Sitter Sitter Confessional, Confessional, an open and honest discussion about life as a pet sitter. Brought to you by Time to Pet. Well, hello and welcome back. This week, we're talking all about burnout with the wonderful Colleen, coach and podcast host. Colleen is on a mission to help pet professionals feel valued, supported, and energized. Colleen, thank you so much for coming on our show today. Uh, Can you please introduce yourself and uh, tell us about what you do? Sure, Colin. Thanks for having me. It's sort of funny having a Colin and a Colleen on the same show. Um, (laughs) I'm Colleen Pilar, and I was a dog trainer for 28 years, and I wrote three books on kid and dog relationships. The one that's um, probably most well-known is Living with Kids and Dogs Without Losing Your Mind. (laughs) And now I run programs and coaching, helping pet professionals of all types Mm. handle, uh, manage their stress, and find more joy so that they can continue making a difference without burning themselves out, because so many pet professionals are really struggling these days. Yeah, it it really is a chronic problem. Um, Why are you so passionate about helping pet professionals specifically? I am passionate about pet professionals specifically because these are my people. I mean, (laughs) honestly, that's, that's the big part. I had my own battles with burnout and compassion fatigue. Mm. And for a while, I was working with a seminar company doing sessions for all sorts of clients that were completely unrelated. Hmm. So I did lots of government work, you know, Verizon and the FBI and uh, FEMA. <laughs> and those were fun and interesting and engaging, but they didn't connect with me on a soul level. Hmm. And then when I would do sessions with uh, veterinary groups or rescue groups, there was more. More of me showed up and I felt like there was more benefit there. Sure. And I was uh, a little afraid to dive into that group because I knew how much pain was there, but it's been really, really worthwhile and rewarding. Yeah. So, so why, what, what about being a pet professional makes us so exhausted and burnout so quickly? Well, I think the biggest thing is that there's so much passion for serving the animals, mm. which is wonderful. We get a lot of benefits from interacting with them and connecting with them, but it is a profession where we have to love people too. And (laughs) that part can be a little trickier for many of us. And we have to really connect with the people in ways that help us. Because if we don't, we get into these situations. And I, I can't tell you how many pet sitters I've talked to who say, this is my most annoying client but I love the animals. (laughs) So I have to keep bending over backwards and accepting late payments Mm -hmm. and letting them change my schedule all the time because I don't want the animal to suffer. Right. And that's a really valid point, but it puts you between a rock and a hard place when you are making your choices based on someone else's needs. And so there has to be ways of creating boundaries where where everyone wins. Yeah. Because so often in this industry, we hear I'm a I'm not a people person. I'm an, I'm an animal person, but in the business side of things, you're interacting with people constantly. You know, we don't, you don't exist in a vacuum. You're not just taking care of pets and that can, if you don't have all, you know, good coping mechanisms or good supports in, in, Mm -hmm. in place, you can really start to get hurt, uh, you know, emotionally and and everything else. Yes, absolutely. You, you talk a lot about, burnout, but you also make a distinction between burnout and compassion fatigue. Why is, mm-hmm. why, why do you make that difference? Um, I think that 
that we could probably use them interchangeably if we're if we're staying away from science and the literature. <laughs> but um, for most people, burnout is a great overall label. Mm-hmm. But if we're thinking about what the distinctions are, burnout is about circumstances. It's about not having enough of something, not enough time, not enough sleep, not the right team, not the right uh, experiences, not the right schedule. Mm -hmm. You're just running on empty and you can't handle it. Compassion fatigue is about the stories and your heart. Mm -hmm. So today, uh, just before we spoke, I was talking to a trainer who had been um, having a consultation with a family that's really been struggling for many years with a very, very aggressive dog. Mm. And there isn't a lot of hope that they're going to be able to turn this situation around smoothly. And the family has also recently uh, lost the husband and father after a short illness, and they're having all of the trauma of that. Mm. And now this incredibly aggressive situation with their dog. Yeah. The trainer is not upset about how do I schedule these appointments? What kind of training mechanism should I use for this? What kind of treats will work best for the dog? She's worried about how do I help these people who are currently in agony? Yeah. And they're turning to me to say, save me. And I can't save them. Wow. That's compassion fatigue. Yeah. And and we do find ourselves in that position more than I think we even like to admit because- This is this is something that people are very passionate about and you become very emotionally entangled with your clients yes. and you become part of their family and mm-hmm. and really good friends sometimes and you can wind up in these situations where you just you don't know what to do because you right. you want to help but but can you and and how should you and that kind of stuff is right yeah gosh right and how do you process and move through the emotions like which parts of that are yours to sit with the person in that tough moment and which parts are yours to hold later. Mm. And for me, I wasn't able to let things go later. Right. Like I was really good at sitting with people in the tough conversation and then really good at replaying that tough conversation in my head for weeks on end mm-hmm. afterwards. That's the unhealthy part. That's the part that, that we're wired to do. It's normal, but it's not helpful. Because we have to just do the best we can in that situation and make choices, but not keep living in that situation. Right. And as you touched on earlier of, of also having healthy boundaries and making the mm-hmm. decision, sh- should I be investing in this right now? Mm-hmm. And, and, yes. and if you do decide that, you know, it's kind of that, like, I, I like to think of it as like the 10x rule. If you do it one time, would you be willing to do it 10 more times? And is, it, yes. is that healthy for you? And where do you start drawing those lines? Yes. So what are, sorry, you can go ahead. (laughs) Well, I was thinking the 10X rule is a really helpful one for people to keep in mind. In the book, The Willpower Instinct by uh, Jill McGonagall, maybe, (laughs) Um, there's uh, an experience where it's talking about how we we give in today to things that we're totally going to be good about tomorrow. Mm. Tomorrow, I'm going to hold this boundary, but today, (laughs) today is okay. She says, so one thing to try is to say, okay, if I, you know, if I have a Snickers at three o'clock this afternoon, then I have to have a Snickers tomorrow at three Mm. o'clock in the afternoon. And today I don't, I don't want one tomorrow. Today, I'm really clear that tomorrow is a good day to not have a Snickers in the afternoon. (laughs) And so that might help me today 
not to make that choice. And so when you're doing the 10X thing, it's the same concept mm. that if I say to a client, I need to have you know my schedule set a minimum of whatever your limit is, 12 hours in advance, mm. absolute bare minimum. I will not take changes after 12 hours. But today someone calls you up and you make that change. Then what if you said to yourself, okay, so then the next nine times they do this, I also have to agree. Your brain is going to go, no, 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 no. (laughs) Yeah. But today (laughs) isn't as strong. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) So it's a really helpful framework and um, not one to be discounted. Yeah, it's just start adding zeros to number of times mm-hmm. or amount of money you're going to spend on something and you can really start to see ooh that's not that's not scalable. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. So what are some early warning signs that you're approaching this burnout compassion fatigue? Well, one of the biggest ones we've already touched on a little bit is that we get really tired of the people. Mm. We get cranky about the people. We feel frustrated with the people. And those could be people on our team or they could be our clients, Mm. but just the human aspects of it. We start feeling uh, disconnected and misunderstood. Like nobody appreciates everything I do. Mm. I work so hard and nobody even cares. They just think that I'll just come around and do that. That kind of stuff comes out all the time (laughs) when people are starting to to hit the edges because burnout and compassion fatigue are sort of the end stages of chronic stress. Mm. So some of the other things that will crop up are health problems, physical ailments. You'll be achier. You'll have more headaches. You may not sleep as well. You'll just feel sort of perpetually exhausted, Mm. depleted. Um, You'll be prone to all the numbing behaviors, whatever your numbing behaviors are. So it might be, oh, I'm going to binge watch an entire series of something because I don't feel like getting off the couch. Or it could be, I'm going to, you know, drink a six pack after dinner and and not feel anything. So Mm. what these kinds of pieces are, they crop up differently for different people, but for most of us, we don't notice them in ourselves right away. We need someone else to start saying, hey, you're not as sunny as you used to be. You're not as lighthearted. You seem to be a little, your jokes have an edge now that they didn't used to have. Mm. Um, and some of those things uh, can be really helpful when someone points out to us. Right, right. So I'm, I'm sure many of our listeners just listened to that list that you went through and started checking them off going, oh no. Oh no. <laughs> uh, uh, so what's some of the first steps that you could take as, as, an, as an individual to start seeking some help in, in rectifying well, that? I think the very first thing is to sort of recognize when you're feeling depleted that it's okay to take a break. Mm. I realize that's shocking and that no one's ever told you that before, but that's one of those things that we believe for other people and not for ourselves. Mm -hmm. So if you had a friend who was a pet sitter, who was running herself ragged, doing all of the things you wouldn't say to her, well, you should definitely not take a day off. Right. Um, But if someone said to you, oh, I think you need to schedule some time off, you would say, I can't, I can't, I, I don't have time for that. <laughs> so yes. um, one of the things that we should think about is recognizing the signs and then asking, and, and this sounds silly, but asking, what do I need? Hmm. And listening to the answer that comes up, because it will probably help you identify what you should do next. And immediately after whatever comes up, you may come up with all the reasons why you can't or you shouldn't, or that's not really your answer. Yeah. That's important too. Yeah. So if you, if you just get quiet for a minute and you say, what do I need? And you say, I need a break. 
Okay, mm-hmm. that's your answer. Or you might say, I need to go for a hike. Okay. Yeah. And then your brain goes, well, you don't have time for a hike or you don't need a break or notice it. So yeah. that, that big piece of noticing it and then finding someone to talk to, even if you don't do that thing that you need, um, finding someone to talk to, to tell them what you're thinking and feeling is really helpful. And that's where a friend, a coach or a therapist can be really helpful. Mm-hmm. It's so valuable to be able to put into words some of what you're feeling as internal sensations. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 the, the key for that was to me was to take some time to just be still, right? to just, mm-hmm. to just sit and, and be for a little bit because we're running around from client doing walks, drop-ins, all sorts of things, boarding in our home, trying to maintain a social life and a family life and all of this stuff. And if you never sit and just listen to what, mm-hmm. to what you need and take yeah. that quiet moment, just, you know, five minutes. Could you do mm-hmm. it in five minutes? You know, that kind of, if you never do that, you'll never be able to start processing this, these emotions and these, and really what your, what right. your, what your body's telling you needs to happen. So I really like that. Just be, be, be still, be still. <laughs> and that's. Yes. And you can squeeze it into really small moments. Like you said, you know, five minutes. I, I was talking to someone this week and she said, um, she builds in a little wiggle room between her appointments just in case of traffic. Mm-hmm. So she often finds herself parking one street away so that she's not in someone's driveway <laughs> and doing a breathing meditation mm. for two minutes, three minutes, four minutes, whatever she has, whatever her wiggle room was. And she said it just gives her a chance to to recenter herself and show up at her next appointment thinking only about the next appointment yeah. and not about all the ones that she had to do or all the emails she has to return and yeah. all that other and for many people, those moments of quiet are deeply uncomfortable. Guilty. <laughs> <laughs> and that's important to know, too, because if you don't know that, then you go to the, well, that works for other people, but that's, mm-hmm. that's a, that doesn't help me at all. <laughs> it doesn't help you because you need it. There's a, there's a meditation uh, quote that's like, some, you know, someone asked a Buddhist monk, how much do people meditate? And he said, well, everybody should meditate at least 10 minutes a day unless you don't have time and then you should do 20. <laughs> and I thought, I thought, Oh, that's true. And yeah. when I started meditating, three was really long for me, yeah. painful and uncomfortable. And I would be like, I'm really calm. Oh, wait, I have to write that Good down. Time. I just thought of something. <laughs> I'm so calm, very peaceful. No, wait, wait, wait. Yeah. Um, so learning to be comfortable in these little moments mm-hmm. of quiet, you don't, you don't have to say I need an hour of quiet. Yeah. Taking two minutes and really just having two quiet minutes has value and is a skill well worth developing. Yeah. Yeah. And because that just immediately combats that excuse of I don't have time. Well, yes. busy people actually need more of this than anybody else mm-hmm. and need to find carve out that time. And and yes. whether it's 30 seconds, whether it's a minute right before you go into the door, because as you mentioned, when you've got stacked up appointments back to back to back to back to back, there is this snowball effect of Mm -hmm. that first client's door didn't open right. So you're a little agitated. And that second one that you go in, the dog is just not obeying today. And, and then by the time you reach that last client, you're just, you know, you know, really agitated. And if you haven't taken these, these stop break measures in between to say what happened in the past happened, Mm -hmm. I'm not going to put that on this next one. And you, you can really catch 
some of these emotions and and things that you're dealing with throughout the day instead of having to all of a sudden unload or do whatever at the very end right. with those numbing me- uh, mechanisms you'd mentioned very early is mm-hmm. you know preventing that to get to that point yes yes and i think it's really valuable and tremendously underestimated. And that is one of the problems with any of the strategies and techniques that that people talk about for resilience is it's really tempting to say, well, you know, like I tried that Mm. (laughs) Um, because they're practices. Like Mm. I assume yesterday you were hungry and you ate, Mm -hmm. but that clearly didn't work because today you're hungry again. (laughs) It was a waste of your time. (laughs) So no, some of these things are are little little resets mm-hmm. in your day, little ways of saying, okay, stress happens. Nobody's going to avoid that. There's no perfect blissful utopia where we get to go, yay, look at me, I've achieved it. <laughs> but if you get the skills, you can kind of go, well, that was terrible. That was the pits. It was horrible. And I can go, well, I learned a lot from that appointment and I don't, I have things I can do differently. So that won't happen again. Mm -hmm. And I don't need to bring that stress into my next appointment. Right. That's resilience. It's just kind of going, that did not work. What will I do differently next time? It's sort of the learning in that moment. Yeah. I like, I like that of it's a, it's a continual learning process because a lot Mm -hmm. of people ask, they see the word resilience program and they go, isn't that just, you know, self-care or what, what in the world is that? But it's a continual daily be, but taking those moments to be mindful and go, okay, what worked? What didn't work? Why? What, yes. what did I have control over so that mm-hmm. next time I can be a little bit better? And whether, you, exactly. you know, if you don't have control over anything, it's just a matter of going, I don't have control over anything and being mm-hmm. and knowing that. So you're not cons- constantly fighting with this, this battle. Um, but there are, right. you know, and when you don't have control over anything, you still have control over your attitude of yourself. Yeah. And some of the, th- the ways you're going to show up in this experience. Um, and, and let me add in there, that is a learned skill as well. Mm. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so when I say we can control our thoughts and our feelings and our actions and our emotions, those kinds of things, we can't always. Right. Sometimes we're hooked mm-hmm. and we go off. I, I got reeled in. Whoops, that happened. Mm-hmm. But it, it is something we can learn to do. We are wired. Um, we're wired for a level of resilience. We're wired, we're wired to bounce back to where we were, mm-hmm. you know, like fine. We can get you back to fine. <laughs> Everybody can come back to here we yeah. are. Fine. Yeah. But if you want to get better than fine, you're going to have to work a little bit against your natural programming Mm -hmm. because our brains are wired to always be going, what could go wrong? What could be bad here? And if you spend all of your time in that mode where you're constantly scanning the environment for how many emails do I have to respond to? Oh my gosh, I need more clients. Oh, this, that, that, all the threats. You're going to, okay, you'll bounce back to fine, but it's a really rough life. But if you can learn to learn use tools to move yourself forward and and make deliberate choices about what you're going to change and do Mm -hmm. and grow from. That's where the fun comes in. And that's where the changes stick Mm -hmm. so that it isn't so much work anymore. Yeah. And one of those big things you mentioned early on is having somebody to talk to. And in in the pet care industry, lonely is a word that's very common. Why I, I'm sure a lot of us know this, but 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 why? What what about this profession makes it so lonely? And and what are some ways we can cope and combat those feelings day in and day yeah. out? 
Yeah, I think lonely is something that we are underestimating as a culture. Mm. Um, the statistics, uh, they they did research, and I, I'm not 100% sure of the numbers, but it's something like 45% of people report as feeling lonely. Mm. And that years ago, most people, the majority, I don't recall percentages, said that they had two to three people that they could call when they wanted to talk about something. And that now it's less than half, say they have one to two people that they could call. So Mm. just in the shift in culture over the last 25, 30 years, things have changed there. We're more disconnected. Some of the things that help us so much also make us more disconnected. So telecommuting and and driving all around and doing all the appointments. Oh, look, anyone can reach me anytime because I have a phone. Well, no, because they're not reaching you. Or if they are reaching you, they're reaching you in a sort of a distant and alienating way, like social media. Mm. Um, That's not real connection. So it's tempting probably to um, flip through Facebook or Twitter when you're between appointments. Here I am on Instagram looking at images. Oh, I'm seeing all these people. These are my friends. But you feel lonelier because you're not actually, no one's seeing you, no one's seeing inside you. Nobody's connecting. Whereas a conversation matters so much. Just just as I was mentioning before about the, the woman I was speaking to earlier today, we had a whole conversation about this really difficult client. It was not a fun conversation for either of us, but I think we both felt really good to have been able to talk. So pet sitters are in a really tough thing because they're on a time schedule and they're running from appointment to appointment to appointment, and they're talking to non-human species. They're probably talking all the time, mm-hmm. and the, those animals are absolutely communicating back but they are not communicating to you on the adult intellectual level mm-hmm. that you may crave. And so it's not filling the same need. Animals feel an incredible need for us, but it doesn't fill your human social need to spend all of your time with animals. Yeah. And, and you really touched on you know the social media aspect too, is it's very easy to get caught up in you know, scroll, like, scroll, like, scroll, like, scroll, like, wow, look at all the shared experiences I just didn't, Mm -hmm. didn't have with anybody, right? Didn't have with anyone. And, and contrast that with taking one day a month to say, I'm going to have coffee with my best friend in the morning on a Saturday, and I'm going to set aside two hours and we're just going to talk about anything and everything or nothing. And, Mm -hmm. and, and just to, it sounds, it sounds a little contrived to schedule social interactions like that. But, but if you have no, if, if you have nowhere to start, it's the best place to start of one day a month, you know, and, and try to start from there to start interacting with people around you in a, in in a non-business way. Cause if most of the time you're interacting with clients, a lot of times on a daily basis, a lot of it can be just business. I was here. I did this. This is what happened. Okay. See Mm -hmm. you tomorrow. Um, there are, you know, there are other interactions that happen there, obviously, but you know, the, if the preponderance of your interactions is business or non-existent, you can really get this big deficit where you do feel isolated and it's hard to reach out from that once you go past a certain point. Yes. And when you're saying about it being contrived, I think that it's almost imperative these days 
to have it be contrived because we are all so busy and Mm. we are all juggling so many things that if you don't make a commitment and get it on your calendar and then you call a friend and say, oh, I'm free on Saturday for coffee. And they go, oh, Saturday. Uh, Yeah, that won't work for me, but I could do Tuesday. You're like, I didn't save Tuesday. Yeah. So sometimes you have to set a date farther out and say, okay, we're both shooting toward this one. Or you have to make a regularly occurring thing with, um, in, in our area, we used to have what we called lunch bunch with a bunch of dog trainers. Hmm. And we would come from, I think it was like 70 mile radius. It was a, it was a big radius, but we had a set schedule. So whoever could come could come and whoever could not come. Well, I'm sorry. That's unfortunate. We hope you'll be here at the next time, Hmm. but it was something that we could all look at our calendar and go, ah, that's the time. And then when we started moving the date around and getting wiggly, that's when it fell apart. So it was awesome while it lasted and it didn't last, it lasted for a number of years. It was great, but it didn't last forever. It's not still going on because it was not contrived any longer. Mm -hmm. It wasn't a set thing that we could all plan for. And another thing that's important with this is When we are too busy, when we are stressed, we are very likely to jettison all of the things that make us feel better. Mm -hmm. So we don't have time for dinner with a friend. Mm -hmm. I don't have time for that. Who has time for that? Yeah. You need time for that. You need to make time for that. Mm -hmm. Because if you don't, you'll feel worse. I don't have time to take an afternoon off and go for a walk. I don't have time to go see a movie. I don't have time to do my bookkeeping. (laughs) (laughs) I don't have time is is a really common excuse, but if this would make you feel better, you don't have time not to. Yeah. So an analogy I use a lot is um, if you had a friend who was um, a violinist and she left her, you know, she just treated her violin terribly. She would just leave it in the backseat of the car and the sun would beat down on it. And occasionally she'd leave it on the front porch where it didn't get wet, but it was in the moisture and she didn't tune it very often. And then she started complaining that her violin wasn't so good. and She probably needed a new one. <laughs> you would be tempted to say, wow, yeah. <laughs> you don't really treat your violin very well. Yeah. Well, for most pet professionals and certainly pet sitters, you're the violin. Mm. Like if you're not taking care of your health, if you're not taking care of your emotional needs and your social needs and your connection to others, you're going to burn out. And then all of those clients that you've been pulling yourself so thin to serve are going to be in a real lurch. Yeah. That doesn't help anyone. Well, how is that good sense? Yeah. And intellectually, we all know that for other people. <laughs> It's awfully yeah, hard to hear for ourselves. Not, it's not fun. No, <laughs> it's not fun. No. So yeah. So schedule, be contrived, find some time to uh, do the things that fill you up. Right. Well, and, and I think when, when you put something on you know, pen and paper or in the calendar of your phone, all of a sudden you're elevating that priority level. Right. And then, mm-hmm. and then whether you keep that or not tells you if it was a priority. And, mm-hmm. and so part of that process can be, you know, you mentioned stress people drop what they love the most, the very first thing, because they need mm-hmm. to be working on this other mm-hmm. stuff. Or so they think. So taking that time to make that priority list and go, yeah. what must I do every day? What, who must I be with every day? And then it becomes a lot easier when you need to start saying no, because a lot of this mm-hmm. comes down to when do you start introducing that terrible word that nobody wants to say ever? No, no, I can't. Yes. I can't add another walk. I can't add another drop in today. I'm booked. 
that's really scary for a, a, a pet sitter is to say no to mm-hmm. somebody because that's right. that's business. And uh, it's just mm-hmm. it's just a little bit more time. And okay, I'll go to sleep a little bit later and I won't have dinner with the family or I'll miss that thing. Those can get pushed aside and you start losing these priorities that you had in search of service, in search of, you know, this passion that you have and, and where, and taking that moment to step back and go, where's my balance? Where can yeah. I, where can I re-level here? Yes. And, and recognizing that if you make a commitment to yourself and you don't honor it, and I'm so guilty of this, I am not, I am not saying I'm good at this. Yeah. Um, so you make a commitment to yourself and then you don't honor it. You're like, oh, look, I do have an opening on my calendar. That time that I was going to take for me, I can totally give to you. Yeah. Shows you something yeah. about your people pleasing skills, mm. about your anxieties, about your, you know, what, what are you hustling to earn here? Yeah. So it's not just earning your living, but are you hustling for worth? Are you hustling for acknowledgement? Are you, where are you um, prioritizing yeah. other needs yeah. that, that maybe you should at least look at those, yeah. look at the choices you're making. Cause now and then we all make a choice. That's fine. I'm not saying that, but if you're a, consistently a person who does not honor your commitments to yourself, but you would never let someone else down, <sighs> which quite frankly is most pet professionals. Yeah. Um, that is something worth exploring and looking at and seeing how can you live your values across the board yeah. and show up as yourself in all the areas of your life. And you'll be, you will be better for it. Absolutely better for it. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. It's just taking that time because a lot of times you can look at that time that you just have blank on your calendar of just me time or, or, you know, mm-hmm. I'm going to meditate or I'm going to spend some time socializing as well, I'm not doing anything. Right. Right. I'm not doing anything. And it's like, that's the whole point, right? Ex- mm-hmm. Except you are doing so much more because mm-hmm. you are being reflective about the day. You are investing in others and yourself at the same time. So while that time can look blank because it doesn't have time codes and everybody that you're going to be meeting or, or all the clients are going to be walking, it is so important to, to, to try and hold that. And yeah, it, it, happens where you overbook yourself and those kind of things. So there's some personal forgiveness to yourself from time to time. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's just recognizing that, that, you know, that that you should be taking some time to invest that way. And that's where that whole learning piece comes in. So, because we aren't always going to do things right. And so you can say, well, I didn't handle this part as well as I wanted to. I overbooked myself and just hypothetically, let's set an example. So you overbook yourself during the holiday season. Mm-hmm. And then you can say, I overbooked myself during the holiday season because it was the holiday season. <sighs> and that is my busy time of year. And I'm okay with that. Yeah. Or I overbooked myself on Tuesday because I wasn't actually juggling everything right. And I need to to really spend some time on Sundays and look at the calendar and look at my schedule and decide where the pockets of time are that I need to protect. And then I need to make sure I block those off. So one is a case of circumstance and you're just going to say like, this is my busy season. Fine. That's fine. But it does mean that we need to balance it in other times and and that we can't just, I think for many of us, we just let that time that could be restorative sort of seep away Mm -hmm. and we don't know where it went. And we think we had no time, Mm -hmm. but it really went into Instagram or Facebook (laughs) or Netflix because we were just plugged into something, but not actually recharging. Right. Have you heard about Time to Pet? 
Dan from NYC Pooch, has this to say. Time to bet has been a total game changer for us. It helped us streamline many aspects of our operation, from scheduling and communication to billing and customer management. Uh, We actually tested other pet sitting softwares in the past, but these other solutions were clunky and riddled with problems. Everything in Time to Pet has been so well thought out. It's intuitive, feature-rich, and it's always improving. If you are looking for new pet sitting software for your business, give Time to Pet a try. As a listener of Pet Sitter Confessional, you'll get 50% off your first three months when you sign up at timetopet.com slash confessional. Another side of that social media is, you know, we all tend to have websites or postings where people can leave reviews and whether good or, you know, good or positive. And (laughs) and as soon as you finish a sitting, a a client, it's like, okay, what's going to come in? What are they going to say? And you can have this anxiety where you are pulling to refresh quite frequently or looking for those emails. What did they say about me? What are people, did anybody tag me in these posts and kind of chase down this, this need for, Either, either validation or um, in some instances, it's just wanting to maintain a good standing that you have with people. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, that's obviously um, very honorable to make sure that you are con- consistently providing the best quality of service. But sometimes we can get caught up in this loop of chasing after reviews oh, on yes. social media. And it, it can really start to dig into that time where you should be investing in other stuff. Yes, it really can. And it can dig into your peace of mind yeah. too. So your your time, but also your peace of mind, because like, let's have a hypothetical review here. So the review says, Colin was awesome. He showed up on time. He walked my my geriatric dog so slowly around the block and my, let my dog sniff everything. And when he came back in, he gave her a biscuit and it was really sweet. And he left a little muddy footprint by my door uh, before he locked up and left. What part of that are you going to remember in two weeks? The muddy footprint. The muddy footprint. (laughs) And our brains are wired for that. Mm -hmm. And, And first off, once we know that, that's helpful. Yeah. So just recognizing that that was basically a glowing review. And the muddy footprint wasn't even necessarily a complaint. It was just a comment, you know, mm-hmm. she didn't say I was, the only thing I was annoyed about was she just said, well, you know, he left. Um, but because our brains are wired for that, if you get anything that's sort of iffy on social media or a little bit off, you will focus on it mm-hmm. and you will be like, oh, you know? And so it's a, it's the kind of piece where we have to know that and we have to say, how much emphasis do I put into reviews? And, and because we do, we all use reviews. Um, I read reviews a lot and I have a tendency to um, look for the, like on Amazon, I'll look for the three-star reviews because they liked it, but they didn't love it. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious there. You liked it, but you didn't love it. Tell me, tell me more. Um, but there are some reviews that are like the, the one star and they were terrible and all that. And you look at those and you're like, well, you're clearly just having a bad day. Right. This, you're, you're mad because the envelope got damaged in shipping. That has nothing to do with the book. Right. Or you're mad because of the. And so if you get one of those ugly diatribe reviews, odds are the average person reading it is going to go, that has more to do with the writer yeah. than the service provider. Yeah. Now, as the service provider, it still feels awful. Sure. but. Most of us, the public out there looking, can go, whew, that person's on edge. Yeah. And this might not be about the pet sitter. Yeah. Yeah. Again, that gets back to the like, well, 
um, I don't know. It's kind of the inverse of, well, that's good for somebody else. It's, well, mm-hmm. I'm the only one who sees what was intended here. Nobody else will see what this person was actually trying to get across. But we all do it. You, as you mentioned, everybody yeah. reads those Amazon reviews and goes, wow, why did they even buy this product? It didn't sound like it was going to work for them at all. Like that didn't even, yes. this isn't even what they wanted. And, mm-hmm. and, and those three-star reviews, okay, well, what, didn't, what would have bumped it up? It, knowing that everybody does that and it can be very freeing whenever you might get a review that's not absolutely 100% glowing and adoring and lifting you up on the biggest pedestal, right? Because everybody reads those and goes, oh, okay. They make judgment calls. And go, that's reasonable. I can see that. So I think that knowing that going into it, when you do get that, is people are, people can see that for what it is and, and are going to be able to take an honest look. Yes. And if you have one that's bugging you and it's just sticking in your craw, share it with a friend. Mm. Talk to the friend about it. And then say to your friend, if you got a review like this, what would I say to you? And then actually think about, you know, if this is your friend who you care about and you think is a good person, what would you say to them? Yeah. I don't want you to be like team them. You're ticked off too. I want you to be thinking about what, what is helpful in this moment. And what is helpful in this moment varies depending on the person and all those things. But often we can give really good advice to other people that we do not follow ourselves. Yeah. So sometimes it could be a little bit of, putting some language around it, just talking to someone about it Mm -hmm. is helpful. Even if nothing changes, someone will have heard you and heard your pain and heard and said, Oh, I'm so sorry that that nasty review went out. That person must've just been completely off their rocker that night. And probably the person was right. (laughs) We've all seen those reviews, right? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Everyone has that experience And, and that feeling of not being alone in that there's that word mm-hmm. again so you're not alone in these experiences so let's say you have um some uh, maybe a friend that is is suffering from some of this burnout this compassion fatigue that has exhibiting these signs of being consumed by social media and reviews what are some things that we can do to help support each other and um and through through recovery or, or however you want to phrase that of of, of so just supporting them through that That's a great question. And it's a really important one. I think one important thing for us to acknowledge right at the beginning is that we will all have periods where we're up and periods when we're down. And the more we normalize that, the more helpful it will be. Mm. And the more we recognize that periods when you're down are something that you can come back from, that um, makes it more likely that you'll be able to help someone else when they're in a period when they're down. Because that's a big piece. So when your friend is struggling, I think one really helpful thing to do is just sort of check in and ask them how they're doing uh, very kindly and gently, mentioning any changes you might have seen. Mm. So, you know, how are you? You don't seem to laugh as much as you used to. Or, gosh, you've been so tired lately. Are you getting enough sleep? Something like that. Um, or it, it feels like you're, feel, you're really impatient. Is something going on Mm. and trying not to be, you know, judgy, like what's up with you, (laughs) but I'm concerned about you. This isn't like you, the, the, you, I know isn't impatient with people, Mm. isn't always dragging himself around, isn't always, you know, humorless. Yeah. You wouldn't want to say it that way, but, (laughs) (laughs) um, and, and it can help people start to go. Oh, you're right. I can't think of the last time I had the big hard belly laugh yeah. or, oh, I, 
I am more impatient with people, but it's not me. It's all of them. <laughs> it's all their fault. Oh, really? Yeah. Let's think about that. So, so being, being there for them doesn't, you don't want it to be in any way confrontational. Mm-hmm. So you want to normalize the experience. We all have ups. We all have downs. If you're in a down, can I help you come up? Because when I'm in a down, I hope you'll help me come up. And pointing out the ways you see difference from who you know them to be Mm -hmm. um, gently and kindly. So they may not hear it in that moment, but they'll hear it. Yeah. Yeah. I I think and being that that genuine concern does come across in that. You may not feel Mm -hmm. like it again, this like, oh, how are they going to perceive that? But if you're genuinely concerned about where someone is headed, speak up about it and and ask them, as you said, this isn't like you. This isn't how I remember you being a couple months ago. What what's changed? You know, is there anything I can, you know, what, what do you what do you need? You know, we need to be asking ourselves that question, but sometimes it needs to come from external first. Yeah. Get that person thinking, get them prompting. Yes. Like, I'm always agitated. I, you know, and then when someone says, what do you need? It's like, I, I don't know what I need. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. You know, that, that can, so being, knowing that, um, that's one of that first steps of, of reaching out to people and just being, being concerned. Yes. And it is not at all uncommon for people to know what many others need and not know for themselves what they need. So pet, professionals and pet sitters are caretakers. Mm. So you're always wired for what should I be doing to help? Who should I be taking care of? Yeah. And not turning that focus back inward. So it's not uncommon for someone not to be able to answer that question of what do I need? Yeah. And and also I think the more people share their own personal struggles, the more it normalizes it. Yeah. Because when I was having trouble, I sort of felt like it was just me being a wimp. Because nobody had said, sometimes I really hate this job. Yeah. Oh, really? <laughs> Me too. <laughs> yeah. This job that I love, that I've spent a lifetime pursuing, sometimes I really hate it. Yeah. Sure. yeah. No? <laughs> Don't tell anybody, but tell everybody kind of thing. Yeah. Yes. Where you feel that. Yeah. yeah. There's hard part. And, you know, that makes the hard parts easier. Yeah. Watching carefully, though, because if we all get down, then we get into the negative. Right. And then it becomes the us versus them silos. Yeah. Well, you know, clients are just terrible. As a, as a dog trainer, I used to um, marvel that we had the most awesome clients. We had just incredible clients. And I would go to conferences and people would be like, oh, we have the worst clients. And I would think, how can that be? Because our clients are amazing. Yeah. And then the more I realized, I was like, oh, no, it's not that my clients are better than your clients. It's that my, my group's attitude about people in general and about the experience and about the work across the board is usually higher than yeah. yours. We, we are less depleted. Um, and so that's a, an important piece because when you're sharing with people, you want to make sure that we're not just sitting in the cesspool and, and rehashing the bad stuff, but always exploring and looking, well, what do I need? What would change? What can we do next time? Yeah. How can we do this differently? Yeah. Yeah. Growing. Yeah. Growing is the, is so is the key to that. It's yes. Get down in the mud share, really sit with those, those uncomfortable feelings, you know, as you did earlier and go, I don't like being here down here in the mud and the mire and the murk, but that's where you got to be. If you're going to grow, right. You've got to yep. really get that worked in so that you have some place to go up and, and then start looking up and mm-hmm. outward and going, okay, where next, what do I need? How can I move forward? And, and part of that, sometimes, you know, you can get in that mindset of when you're down there, in the in the dark places of well, I just need to toughen up. 
I just need to grit yeah. my teeth. I just need to grin and bear it. And that's, that's not really growth or helpful. Um, and, you know. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah. No. And yet that's how many of us feel. It's definitely how I felt. Um, so many times I was told that I needed to toughen up, that I was, you know, too, too soft or too emotional. And the thing about emotions is there really aren't good or bad emotions. Mm. There are comfortable and uncomfortable emotions, yeah. and they're all there to teach us things. So when you're angry, it inspires you to take an action. There's something that you think needs to be changed. Mm. So get to work changing it. Yeah. Don't just be angry about it, but get to work changing it. Um, things that make us sad, recognize loss and connection. And how can we feel connection to, to feel less sad? So the more we recognize that emotions are always guiding us in some way, mm -hmm. they're communicating with us, the more we can figure out what it is we need to learn to, to ride the emotions and to um, to use an analogy, I heard be a slide for them to let them, you know, go through us and, and pass along and move to the next thing rather than a sponge where we absorb them in and hold them tight and stay with it. Yeah. Um, so learning to be able to consciously shift your emotion to a more positive, comfortable yeah. <laughs> um, experience is a really valuable skill to have, mm -hmm. but not at the expense of denying the negative emotion. Mm. Recognize it, see what it's teaching you, do something, and then learn to shift is, is a real valuable thing. And knowing how to do that is not natural. I think we are doing a slightly better job of teaching children how to do this. There's much more information about um, communicating about emotions with children now yeah. than there was before. Mm. But we are wired for negativity. Mm. So you're probably going to need some books or some help or some people to talk to. You're not just going to naturally go, oh, look, I have a new skill set because I decided it takes practice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it's it's very interesting you mentioned that because I notice in in my my kids when something bad happens, it's clam up, anger, shout, fresh, gnash teeth, bang around, and how common that is in adults. Of I just am going to just do this, and I'm going to be angry about it, but I'm not going to do anything with that. And yeah. and so taking that moment to go, I know you're really upset. Can you tell me why? What you know? Let's you know. Tell mm -hmm. me what you're feeling right now. And it can seem so simplistic and so basic to go what am i feeling right now it, but that's a that's where you have to start if you've never if that's not a part of a normal process is what what am i feeling right now why am i feeling that and how do i get away from that how do i how do i keep moving right and that is really very sophisticated in a way that most of us don't understand so the question of what are you feeling and and why are you feeling it mm -hmm pulls you into noticing your physical sensations, mm. which a lot of us aren't very aware of. Like when we're hooked by an emotion, we are having the sensations, but we're not consciously thinking, oh, look, a flutter in my stomach. Oh, look, I'm clenching my jaw. Mm -hmm. Oh, look, whatever. Um, but the question of what am I feeling? What is going on? Actually shifts some of those emotions to the prefrontal cortex, to the more rational part of our brain mm. and allows us to observe them yeah. sort of from a distance. What am I feeling? Oh, I'm feeling anxiety. I'm nervous. Oh, that's interesting. Mm. I wonder why I'm nervous. What could I do that's helpful to me in this nervousness? Um, and 
when parents are talking with kids about that, it's having both of those effects. It's teaching the children to notice their, their body's responses to things, mm-hmm. which is so powerful because much as we would like to believe we're rational, we're not. We're really <laughs> running around in bodies that are all about physical sensation. Ooh, I'm nauseous. That feels bad. I want to stop. Yeah. Um, and it's teaching them to shift. So here is the experience I'm having. It is not an experience I would like to stay in. Let me think about that yeah. and shift to the prefrontal cortex, the more rational part of our brain. And it, it actually uses your brain to help you move through it in a way that works beautifully, particularly with practice over time mm-hmm. um, in, in helping people shift. But it's such a valuable skill. Mm-hmm. It's such a valuable skill. And it sounds silly, doesn't it? Yeah. Like it sounds like you've just said, you know, well, you just notice your sensations and ask yourself why you're feeling them. Yeah. You just yes, do you that. Just do that. <laughs> That's a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Especially to be able to do it in the moment and in the moment, in the mo- you know, and, and so a lot of times you may be doing that reflective after the fact going, wow, mm-hmm. I really blew up there and man, I was really shaking and man, I'm really sweating now. And I, you know, I was kind of out of control there. And to, as you practice these resilience things is over time, you start shifting that a little bit closer yes. and you start noticing these ticks of, Ooh, I, I, there's a path over there that if I go down, will lead to some, you know, I know where that goes and, yes. and, and taking, but you know, this comes in t- finding those quiet times and building that in and up over time. It doesn't happen overnight by any stretch of the imagination. Mm-hmm. And it takes, it takes a supportive community and it takes intentionality in all of this. And it's not, it's not easy, but it is well worth the investment when you absolutely start building some of those in. And will nobody will yes. ever be a hundred percent perfect at it and just be, you know, Spock and no emotions and be completely rational uh, because we're not. But you can, and we don't want, and to we don't be. want to be. That that takes out some of the fun. Because <laughs> really, you know, one of the best parts of life is sort of leaning in and feeling mm-hmm. things, like the, like the show This Is Us. I'm a huge fan of This Is Us, and in every episode, I laugh and I cry. Yeah. Just guaranteed, I'm going to do both. <laughs> That's life. Yeah, we want to feel the feelings. We just don't want to be stuck in the feelings mm-hmm. and, and, and learning to have the real time ability to, to float along and adjust to them and, and ride it out. You know, you are fine. Yeah. This is a good moment. You are fine. This is a bad moment. You are also fine. fine. You're going to be okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think a common theme throughout our entire talk today has been reaching out to others and having a supportive mm-hmm. community. How do people get connected with the supportive community. You can feel so disconnected these days, no, don't even know where to start. Um, yeah. you know, what, are, what are some first steps somebody may take when, in trying to get more connected? I think first steps are, well, first off, keep your non-pet professional friends because they are gold. Mm. You do want people who, who have completely different experiences because they will have an objective view that the rest of us can't have. But from the pet professional aspect, um, start with any sort of groups or associations of people who do what you do. Mm -hmm. So create a network, create like my lunch bunch group started because I started asking dog trainers to go to lunch. Mm -hmm. It was, there was nothing organized. It was like, Hey, anyone want to go to lunch? Um, 
and and find ways to connect with people. If you're a member of a professional association, there's probably a Facebook group or something like that, but trying to connect with people locally. Um, I have a Facebook group called the Circle of Resilient and Thriving Pet Professionals. If people are interested in the personal growth aspects of that, that's a free group. You're welcome to do that on Facebook. But looking for the people who share some interests with you and being the one to reach out and knowing that you might need to be the one to reach out many times because people are busy. Yeah. If, if people, you know, can't meet you for coffee or don't always respond to your message, it probably doesn't say anything about you. Right. It just says how much that they're busy. People are busy. Um, so if you say to yourself, this is a gift I'm giving myself is I'm going to reach out and I'm going to make some connections. And some of them will be like, this is a, an acquaintance. And then others will be like, this is a friend and we are souls who, <laughs> who need to spend much more time together. Yeah. Both are great. Both are valuable. Yeah. No, I think that's, I think I like that idea of a lot of times you can look up and around and go, well, there are no groups near me. There's no professional, yeah. you know, membership that even close to me. Start it. And Start it. reach out to somebody and say, hey, I know you're, you're also a dog walker. We'd love to meet up to talk about some of your mm-hmm. experiences here and just get to know you a little bit and then start inviting more and more people. And it can become, you know, I, so I don't want people to take it from a way of, of, well, there's nothing near me. It's just, you right. know, just, 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 you know, reach out to somebody. Well, <laughs> one of the members of my, of my private community is a pet sitter in the Chicago area. Mm. And she started a whole networking group of pet sitters in the area. And it's awesome because they can refer to each other. Some of the things that are either a little bit out of their physical zone or sometimes, you know, there are pets who need medical care that only certain people can do. It's wonderful to be able to refer and say, I, I can't cover this time, I'm out of town, or I can't cover this issue, but here's someone who who you might really like. And it sounds scary and threatening, like, oh, no, no. oh, no. <laughs> but the reality is, the more you do that for other people, the more they do it for you, it it will build good okay. things for you. And it will give you someone to talk to when you say, I'm really struggling with this problem. I don't know how to handle it. How do you handle it in your business? Yeah. They'll tell you. Yeah. If, if you're part of a group as opposed to the competitor right. yeah. sneaking up to learn their secrets. <laughs> really shifting that mindset of, mm-hmm. of competitor to assets that are around you because they are it is so helpful. And, and as you mentioned, everybody needs help, not just with some of these um, skills and things and practices that we've been talking about, but also with running their business, right? Everyone yeah. is overbooked a lot of the time yes. and has need to recommend somebody and building that support network just it lifts everybody up over time when you're when you're investing in not just yourself and helping everybody else along the way yeah it it is a huge win so i i would definitely recommend people do that and just start reaching out on a real low key level um and get to know the other people doing and doing your same kind of work and also doing different work, yeah. you know, so pet sitters should also meet some of the dog trainers and they should meet some of the vets and they should meet some of the vet techs and the groomers, but they should really, really know the pet sitters. Yeah. They should know. And, and you should know who you want to refer to. Yeah. Um, that's important. Yeah. Yeah. It's very comforting too. Whenever you're, you know, I know this person, I know their work ethic. I've been, I, you know, we meet once, twice a month. I have confidence because mm-hmm. at deep down we are caretakers we want the client taking care of who yeah. else to better to re- refer to them than somebody that you know and have you know had coffee with right that's that's a much better relationship to be basing it off of yeah 
And it makes it a lot easier for you to take a vacation too, yes. if you can say, I'm taking two weeks off in July and I know that I can tell all my clients to go see this person and I don't have to worry about that. Yes. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And it gets back to that, finding that time. This is one of those mm -hmm. things that you can build in to make that time for you if you ever feel busy. Mm -hmm. Well, Colleen, thank you so much for coming on today. I, I have really thoroughly enjoyed this episode and, and I know a lot of people are going to take a lot out of this. Um, I, I, hopefully some time to reflect and some things to be looking for and then building that community. But we've only scratched the surface and there's so much more. How can people reach out to you with more questions and start getting um, some help or some directions that they may need? Well, I would love to talk to people. My website is my name, ColleenPilar.com. And then I am also on Facebook in the, the Circle of Resilient and Thriving Pet Pros as a free group if anyone's interested in that. And I also have a private membership group where we dive deep into resilience called Unleashed Resilience. And that is something that some people might be interested in checking out as well. Okay. Well, we'll provide links to all that and a lot more of the references we made in the show notes today so people can click through that. I want to thank our listeners. Um, they can follow along at Pet Sitter Confessional on Facebook and Instagram. Um, you can visit, uh, to view those show notes, um, they can go to PetSitterConfessional.com. And if anybody else has any other stories or experiences they'd like to share today, you can go to feedback back at PetServeConfessional.com. Colleen, once again, thank you so much. And we'd love to have you back on to, to answer some more questions from the listeners and uh, dive deep into some more topics. Thanks so much for having me, Colin. Good luck with all of the pets, all of the places. People, <laughs> people really need good pet care. Yeah, thank you so much. <laughs>